0: G'day folks and welcome, I'm Chris Faber and I'm TJ Steadman and you're listening to the Answers to Giant Questions podcast coming to you from sunny Western Australia. Welcome back once again to the Answers to Giant Questions podcast, the show that tackles your questions on the biblical giants and it kind of feels like ages since we last did this show together Tim, so uh, catch me up, what have I missed?
1: Oh, well, let's see. Last week we we had a brief deviation from our planned program because I wanted to share with you all the interview that I did with Evan Minton from Cerebral Faith. So if you were tuning in, you will have got that one by now. Uh, I thought it best to do that before we got to the end of our series on Genesis 1 because I knew there'd be people asking the questions I posed to Evan wanting to know how we can be sure that God did in fact create the cosmos materially and not only functionally. So there was that. And also, I've had a crazy, hectic time of late, and I needed to get off the ride for a bit before jumping into this week's episode. So it was kind of good to have a short break.
0: I won't take it personally then. So uh, things have been a bit crazy on your end by the sounds of it
1: oh yeah yeah um I hate to say it, but this is kind of becoming my new normal it just feels like everything is in upheaval these days in the last three weeks I've been in hospital three times and at the vet as well fortunately for myself it wasn't me having the issues but my family and pets haven't fared so well we've had injuries and illnesses and all kinds of drama uh, I had a lot of time off work to deal with all that stuff even though I was fine and you know it was stuff you have to do when you're part of a family I've had these huge expenses seemingly coming out of nowhere and the time in the day just seems to shrink or something. I don't know, know. I'm running out of time to do stuff. And Although it is two weeks since we last recorded, my writing time since then has cut down to maybe a couple of hours total. Um, So yeah, it was a good thing that I had that interview with Evan on file. Uh, I had to play it a little early, but no biggie. Anyway, we've been chewing through Genesis 1 for months now, assembling a picture of the cosmos that God created and everything in it we've talked about what creation is and how it's best defined as God or his appointed agent setting apart something for a divinely ordained purpose. And with that in mind, we've been talking about the creation of mankind and that leads us to this point where I go, okay, well enough word studies and object lessons. It's time for a message that we'll preach.
0: Excellent. Well, I'll I'll set myself in because you are a good preacher.
1: (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) So, are basically gonna do just that I'm not talking about a formal sermon or anything though. No. there's there's all kinds of lessons we can take home from the last verse of Genesis one, but something in particular I felt was worth putting out there and perhaps it will resonate with you I mean the collective you the you you all for mm-hmm. those in the South y'all. <laughs> uh, we don't have that in Australia incidentally if you're if you're wondering I don't know who will say it, but um well, you, we, you want want, to, we more would we would say like use. Yeah, you get use. Use lot. Yeah, use guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but we're not going to start with Genesis one. We're going to start with Matthew twenty two and verses fifteen to twenty two. Uh, so I'm going to read that just quickly from the ESV. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true, and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. Now, that's an interesting passage. I um, I really like that. And Just uh, to put it in a bit of perspective, if you're wondering what a denarius is, like that's the wage you would earn in a day as a labourer. So if I were to compare that to the wage I'm on uh, in, in, in my employment, then that coin would be $250 or something like that. That's Australian dollars. So, yeah, it's not as much as you might think uh, if you're in America. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's a, that's a significant amount of money. Uh, in a single coin so it's got a high uh, face value and back in the day they were actually made from precious metals so uh, unlike the coins that we often find uh, in circulation today where you know we might call them a silver coin or a gold coin um, and they're not actually made of those metals to any significant degree you know? these uh actually had a, a value that you could trade in terms of their uh, weight as a commodity. And, of
0: course, uh, you and I are old enough to remember the days of one cent and two cent coins.
1: Yeah, that's right. Actually, we had um, even... You could buy a bag of lollies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you even had uh, $1 and $2 notes here in Australia. Um, which are now okay. gone, I, I believe uh, Americans still use dollar bills. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we we don't have any folding stuff smaller than $5. And our coins, our, our whole monetary system is actually rounded to the nearest five cents because they phased yes. out the one and two cent coins that Chris mentioned um, many years ago now. So,, uh, yeah, just some curiosities there. Actually, I was looking at an actual first century denarius on eBay, and you can get the genuine article for something like two and a half thousand Australian dollars.
0: Wow, awesome.
1: yeah, a, a real uh, a real Roman Denarius with even the uh, the Caesar who was current in Jesus' day, who would have been Tiberius. And, yeah, two and a half grand, um, which actually, when I think about it, in 2,000 years, it's multiplied its value by 10. (laughs) Assuming that what I get for a day's (laughs) wage is equivalent to what they would have got for a day's wage.
0: Mm. (laughs) That's interesting. It is.
1: Yeah, they should have got onto Bitcoin. <laughs> all right, uh, I'm going to move on. Uh, actually, I'm going to read. I'm going to read y'all a short excerpt from the first chapter of my book, Answers to Giant Questions, uh, and this is going to set the scene for what I'll be talking about today. And it touches on this passage that we've just read. So here's the quote. Have you ever wondered why the scripture makes such a point of repeating the fact that mankind was created in the image of God? Genesis 1 verses 26 to 27 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. In these two verses alone, man's creation by God in his image is mentioned five times in different ways. Five times plus another four times in Genesis 5. And perhaps most importantly of all, we find it again in Genesis 9, 6, after the flood which destroyed the Nephilim. Now if something comes up ten times in the first nine chapters, it's obviously very important. The writer of Genesis has a point to get across here, especially keeping in mind that God is preparing this, in fact the whole of Genesis 1-11, to as among the foundations of all biblical doctrine. The very fact that humanity was created personally by Yahweh himself and made to represent him is part of the absolute backbone of the scriptures and our faith as a result. How we represent God is really what this is all about after all. For we are uniquely placed in all creation as human beings, the physical beings created by god for a personal connection with him to be made in the image of god is more than just a design template it is a revelation to us to a certain degree of what god is like and it is indicative that above all god desires a relationship with us we are not slaves or machines or pets to yahweh we were always intended to be members of the father's family And that is why the Most High went to such great lengths to ensure that there would be a means of forgiveness available to us so that when we fall short, when we miss the mark, when we mess things up completely and even deliberately, our Saviour can always bring us back through faith in Him. Bearing God's image isn't easy, though. It's not just a matter of existing as a human being. That might be all it takes to hold the title of an image bearer. But God is looking for representation from us, not just default status. That is a functional responsibility. He wants us to show the world through our every thought, word, and deed what He is like. Our Heavenly Father reveals Himself to His images in order that we might bear His name as a light to the world around us. That means that being made in God's image comes with a responsibility to honor the intent of our Creator. There is a purpose behind His selection of mankind as His image bearers, there is something God wants. Jesus spoke about this when asked about whether it was lawful to pay taxes to Caesar. His response to that question is fundamentally important to all believers. Matthew 22, verses 17-21 Tell us therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar, or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness, and said, Why tempt me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny, and he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then saith he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. Jesus looked at the coin presented in front of him. He asked simple questions. Whose image is this? Whose name is it? This object belongs to the person that is represented by it. The coin can go to Caesar. God wants for himself that which was made in his image, and which bears his name. We bear God's image by default, but we bear his name by obedience to his will, honouring his character in our lives. That's what makes God's law so important, even for Christians today. We take it for granted today in our Christian worldview that there is only one requirement for salvation from sin, just one thing needed for everlasting life with Yahweh in eternity to come. We delight in the freedom of that classic saying of old that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone. And it holds true, as it ever has. But what would you say if you found out there was another less obvious requirement for salvation? Now, this is not about some kind of subsequent experience or some additional religious requirement. There's nothing else you have to do, nothing extra you have to believe, no price to pay. You just have to be. You have to be human. Does that sound strange? You have to be human to be saved. Think about it. The Most High God, the Creator, made you in His image according to his likeness, by the express working of his will. Like the coin that bore the image and the name of Caesar, only the genuine article holds value in his kingdom. You can't buy a soda with Monopoly money, and likewise the King of Heaven will accept only those who bear the identification of the King. Salvation is offered only to those who are genuine creations of God, because nothing else holds value to the Creator. And that's the end of the quote. (laughs)
0: and what a quote it is and what a book it is what a great message remember folks if you haven't got this book yet you really need to get yourself a copy and you can do that on uh, Amazon or just follow the links from giantanswers.com
1: yeah thanks for that Chris so yeah hopefully you picked up the core message of that quote from my book which echoes the point Jesus was making as he spoke to the Pharisees and Herodians man is made to represent God and God isn't interested in money What he places value on is what bears his image and what has been imbued with value by the word he has inscribed. God wants you. And that's not just your backside on a seat for 90 minutes on a Sunday. We're familiar with the idea that God demands our whole life in loyalty and faithfulness only to him. That's what Christianity is by most definitions. But it's actually so much more than that. Certainly we are saved by that faithful allegiance to the Most High mediated only through Christ, but being assured of future blessing isn't Christian life. Living as a Christian is living as God intended, and that means obedience to the commandment of God. It was the commandment of God that gave mankind the function of dominion over the earth and responsibility for it. So according to this worldview, by God's word, we exist as humans. That ought to help us live squarely in the truth of who we are. Not too proud, not too humble either. Now, I found out something interesting the other day. The, apparently, the rabbis used to say that you should carry two notes in your pocket. One that says, the whole world was created for me, and one that says, I am but dust and ashes. So, on the one hand, we rule the world, and on the other, we must put the world before ourselves. A little change of pace here. Yesterday, I had one of those rare moments when someone who isn't a believer actually listens to you talking about God with the intent to understand. You don't get them often. It was in the context of suffering and the whole why do bad things happen to good people question. And the guy I was listening to just said, you know, it, it's things like that. When I hear about someone going through that, that, that's when I really think if there's a God, how can he let that happen?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a common question, isn't it? But also a tough one to deal with, with um, certainty and grace and love.
1: Yes, you know, you know he was talking about a friend who just received a terminal cancer diagnosis. And right after that guy's wife had just struggled through cancer herself and she survived and yeah, he wasn't going to and I'll admit like I haven't been there by the grace of God but my heart went out to them all not just the guy in the story and his wife but my companion who was telling it. He was struggling. I I could see real pain in his face.
0: Yeah, I can certainly relate to that. And I think, you know, that's the, a wonderful opportunity for us to show Christ's love. I mean, even in the midst of suffering, uh, God remains the same. And I think sometimes that can be hard to articulate. Uh, but I think when they see that um, we suffer, but we still stand firm upon a firm foundation and hold to the living hope, it's quite eye-opening for some, I realise.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and... I was sort of tempted to, uh, to claim to have all the answers. You know, it's you write a book called Answers to Giant Questions and everyone expects you to have the answers. <laughs> um, but, you know, <laughs> he um, he asked a fair question in those few words, you know. I, I'm not going to make this about theodicy, but it is my belief that we live in a world that is populated with individuals who are free to make choices. Often those choices are less than ideal and, whenever something less than ideal occurs there are consequences that can impact others and they don't necessarily deserve it for better or for worse you know sometimes when when people ask me why does god let people get cancer i'm well i'm usually tempted to respond with oh well you know why do people spray poisons on food crops uh, you know when they ask me if i think it's fair that kids get born with hiv or with birth defects like I want to ask them, well, was it fair that you didn't? I mean, we, we always want to push the responsibility and the consequences for bad choices off of human shoulders and back onto God. And when life turns out good for us, we don't often give God the glory for it, even even knowing that we had no say in it. And and when someone has a bad lot in life, we look for someone to blame or use it as a reason to deny God. But all that aside, I, I can't respond to those questions with harshness or Arrogance. In that moment I need to choose compassion. And God allows us to choose freely because without choice our actions are devoid of meaning. Love isn't love if you can't help it. Kindness isn't kind if you had no choice. As I mentioned in an earlier episode, we humans are uniquely placed to be able to choose to give another person an advantage over ourselves and our own needs or desires. That means something. It means that we're more than robots or animals. It means that we're capable of doing what God does, extending grace, mercy, compassion, love, and kindness, even when it profits us nothing. In fact, in God's kingdom, the only way to find reward is by helping those who cannot repay you. So on the one hand, our freedom to choose makes us capable of terrible evil and destruction, even of, our, even of engineering our own extinction. And yet on the other, we can heal, we can build, we can protect our world and all that live in it. Without that which is less than ideal, we have no opportunity to do good because good is simply what's expected or programmed or inevitable. But because our world is broken, we have opportunity to love, to help, to heal, and to continue our search for the ideal. And that's another distinctly human trait, you know, the pursuit of dreams and ideals. Animals can't do that. We're the only species that can, that innately knows how things are supposed to be. Although the world, the flesh and the devil have ways of clouding our judgment, I think that's the reason why the Bible opens with creation and follows with Eden. It grounds our expectation of the world as it was always meant to be. gives us perspective on our situation now and helps us aim for that ideal and hope for it with all our heart.
0: Yeah, and it's in ways like this that the Bible guides us and teaches us how to be human and how to reflect his character.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, And contrast this with the Nephilim. Their violence had destroyed the human race almost down to the last man, fueled by their appetites and their lust for sensory pleasures, but nothing could satisfy them. Although mankind could withhold nothing the Nephilim desired, these brutal beasts were insatiable and depraved beyond reckoning. According to First Enoch, they ate everything mankind produced, devouring animals and even humans, before eventually turning on one another. What a horrific vision of an apocalyptic past. This is what it's like to live life devoid of a God-given purpose. When you're bent on representing yourself and satisfying your own desires, you begin to lose what we call humanity. Those qualities of God that we think of as noble or admirable are the same that we call human. We say that a person is humane if they consider the feelings of an animal. We talk about the human touch of speaking to somebody in person instead of over the phone or by email. Simple dignity and kindness extended to another are the kinds of things we call human. The Nephilim showed no such humanity. And how could they? They weren't made to represent the God who has given us our humanity. You know, as much as there is an ontological argument for the value of humans as specific organisms that God chose to be his representatives. It it just isn't enough to be biologically human. We need to be active as representatives of God, not just default tokens of his sovereignty. If God wanted his face on a coin, he could have just minted some like Caesar did. God's looking for our faithfulness, our allegiance and our trust in him. And he wants to see us living out our humanity, our representation of what God is like as much as we're able, in the world, seeking out the people who need help to be rehumanized. So if you see a man living on the street, do whatever you can to help him. Feed the hungry, give clothes to those who are going without, care for those who can't care for themselves, and do it in big ways. I'm not saying this is blow my own horn here because it's not going to help me in the kingdom to come if I do, but I want to testify that these things can be done I once took in a homeless man and had him live with me for two years. In that time, he got cleaned up off drugs and alcohol. He got his mental health under control, and later he found a home and a wife, and he just thrived, giving glory to God for all of it. And My wife and I are foster carers. We've taken in children that needed care and support, having come from a traumatic and neglected background. We've devoted our lives to these kids. It's so rewarding to watch them grow and discover their own humanity as God's image bearers. I'm not saying everyone can or should do as I have. I've also done things that I needed to repent of and continue to repent of. I'm just saying everyone can do something. Everyone can find somebody who needs help to feel human again. Everyone can exercise their freedom to represent Christ in their limited capacity to imitate him. And we need to realize how urgent it is that we live this way in view of his imminent coming. It's very tempting to... To put it off, you know, when I'm in a better position later on, when I've got more to give or something like that. Well, I'm just going to read this from Matthew 25, uh, again from the ESV. This is verses 31 to 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. saying truly i say to you as you did not do it to one of the least of these you did not do it to me and these will go away into eternal punishment but the righteous into eternal life
0: yeah and that just reminds me that we don't really hear much about the return of jesus these days it's like people are embarrassed that he hasn't come yet so they just kinda of keep silent and say nothing about it. But we don't hear much about the return of Jesus, but it's something that our whole faith and excitement hinges upon, really.
1: Yeah, you'd think like for a for an absolute cornerstone of our faith that you'd hear more about it. And uh, I think you're right, there's this embarrassment fact that was sort of like, Well, you know, it's been two thousand years. And and even in the first century church they said, you know, there'd mm. be scoffers and and mockers yeah. who would come and say, well, you know, everything carries on like it has before and, yep. you know, where's your Messiah now sort of thing. And we kind of forget how crucial it is that, that we need to absolutely hang on to this and we need to live like our life depends on it because it does. I mean, does anyone realize that we don't get eternal life if, if the Messiah does not come back? <laughs> Like all of this that we strive for, the ideals that we mentioned, like you know eden and and that beautiful initial created state, and all the things that that we pin our hopes on, the things that our soul yearns for, they depend on our master coming back. And in the absence of the imminent return of the master we attempted to act like he isn't coming so did you notice that the sheep and the goats were not separated by what species they were but by what they'd done the father knows those who represent him and it's not an outward appearance it's the people who've lived according to these instructions this is why james the brother of jesus was able to say that faith without works is dead This is not the time to be jumping up and down with your fingers in your ears, repeating, faith alone, faith alone, faith alone. You need to be found doing something when he comes. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. In other words, help the less fortunate, especially those who cannot help themselves or who are disadvantaged by society. That very much mirrors the words of Jesus we were just looking at. People are going to hear this and say, yeah, yeah, but what about the thief on the cross? And I'm saying to you that if it's your plan to hang around and be useless until you're dead, then that's a very different attitude to take from the thief on the cross who didn't have the option to do anything for his time was up. I'm saying you need to seek out and take your opportunities to do good. Remember, I mean, for those who came in late, we touched on this in an earlier episode, actually lots of them. There's no separation in the ancient mind between being and doing. You can't be without doing. So this should help us understand the core of what makes humanity distinctive now. We were made to represent God, and as long as we do that, we are most truthfully human in the deepest and most natural sense. The other side of that coin, then, is that when we seek to represent anything other than God, we become less than the human God made us to be. The Nephilim were not only the product of an illicit sexual union, they were the result of people seeking to represent and participate with powers in rebellion against everything that God made good in this world, because they thought that this kind of union would give them the power to be more than human. Well, it kind of did, and it kind of didn't.
0: So are you saying that the Nephilim were kind of like the first superheroes or supervillains?
1: <laughs> yeah, in a, in a way, yeah, I guess they were, and uh, and yet they were never able to satisfy their human desires. All the strength and size that they might have possessed didn't get them the immortality they wanted. God was able to simply decree that their lifespan would be limited to 120 years, according to Genesis 6-3. And even so, within 100 years, they were all dead. They certainly did make a name for themselves, though, a legacy that people would continue to emulate for thousands of years to come, even today. Speaking of superheroes, Chris, next season... We'll be talking a lot about superheroes. So I hope you're ready to nerd it up with our comic fans and cinema buffs for next
0: season. I'm always ready to nerd it up. I've never nerded it down. Um, So it's going to be super. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But in the meantime, you can check out the other awesome podcasts at Raven Creek. There's something for everyone there. So you can try A Change My Mind with Luke T. Harrington. That's a good one.
1: Or Tending Our Nets with Joshua Sherman.
0: It's also The Commentarians with Joe Zaragoza.
1: And, of course, The Flagship Show, Faith and Other Oddities with Nathan Underwood and Emily Dixon.
0: Lots of good stuff there, something for everybody. And if if that wasn't enough, there's heaps more coming soon. So stick around and find out what's coming to RavenCreekSC.com. It's time to wrap up today's episode. But if you want more, don't forget to get yourself a copy of Answers to Giant Questions. We're asking readers to please leave a review of the book on Amazon or Goodreads to help it become more visible in search results. Even if you just give it stars, that'll help. But a full review is certainly really appreciated. Please also leave a review of this podcast wherever you found us so that new listeners can find us here on the show. In the future, we want to be talking about your stories as well, not just our own. So if you have had a particular paranormal or spiritual experience, we want to hear from you. And we're also looking for your testimonies about how you have found the content and answers to giant questions to be helpful and or useful. Of course, this podcast comes out every week, but you want to make sure you never miss an episode. So if you haven't already subscribed, do that now and you'll get notified when each new episode drops. That's all we have time for today. We'll catch you next time on the Answers to Giant Questions podcast.
1: Thank you for listening to the Answers to Giant Questions podcast, a production of the Raven Creek Social Club. If you like what you heard today, Please take a moment to rate or review the show. Music supplied under copyright by Grave Forsaken, graveforsaken.com. You can get the book, Answers to Giant Questions by TJ Stedman on Amazon in paperback and Kindle format. Check out the other podcasts at ravencreeksc.com and go to giantanswers.com for more Answers to Giant Questions. Read the blog, catch us on the socials. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends about the show. Send us your giant questions and stay tuned to this podcast to get answers. We'll see you next time. Until
0: then, stay safe and God bless. don't Need a lot of money. I don't really need a mortgage, you know, a big house in the backyard, or not.
1: like the old days, you know, bus fare, 30 cent I know, I
0: know. yeah, big ring. Yep, remember that day at the um, was it by Elizabeth Key or oh, not Elizabeth around there? The um, what's the the tower, the bell tower, oh, like yeah, vend- vending machine, and that was like. Do you remember that day? That's like yeah, eight, and eight bucks or something at the vegetable <laughs> just came
1: coming out. Yeah, someone had stuffed a small fortune in there trying to unjam it, and they only made it worse. And then, um, I found some bits of metal, which I worked out had actually come out of like the, the backing part of um windscreen wiper blades off a car. Oh,
0: okay.
1: And um, yeah, bend them into shape and fish around in there until it all came out, and I got a bottle of coke out of it too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the Lord providers. Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, I know. Those were good times. I know. It was quite amazing.